right. Well, if you take your Bibles, we have those. John 21, please. John chapter 21. You're welcome. Some years ago, uh, I was over in the, the Ponderosa Chapel, and I'd finished giving that message I gave last night and calling kids to surrender to Jesus. And, and usually when I'm done, I go sit in the back, um, and I just kind of watch. Um, I used to sit up front because I wanted people to notice, and, but I stopped doing that because, well, God freed me from the need to have that happen. But I remember there's before I could grabbed my stuff, I went down the stage, and this 15-year-old kid came up to me, and he's, as he came up, his, he, just was, he was starting to cry, and he said, Brian, can I, can I just tell you something? I said, sure, bless you. I said, sure. He's like, I, I, just, I just don't feel worthy. And I looked at him, and I thought, okay, what do I say, God, because this is the answer. And so I just looked at him and said, you're not. And his, his eyes got like really huge. And he's like, okay, thanks. And he starts to walk away. I said, no, 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 come here. I'm not done. I'm not done. I said, come here, watch, watch. I said, dude, you're not worthy of what Jesus went through. I'm not worthy of what he went through. But the cross is God's way of declaring to us that we're worth it. It's different. It's when I start thinking that I'm worthy of what he did for me that I become arrogant and I become entitled but when I realize and I live with this belief, I know this to be true. I'm not worthy of anything that God gives or anything that God does. But God is declaring to us that we're worth it. Like Jesus taking the cross. Guys, he wasn't the victim. He himself said, I laid down my life. No one takes it from me and I will bring it back up again. Guys, this was his choice, and it was his good pleasure. It was the joy set before him. But guys, can you imagine the emotions that the disciples went through? On Friday, to watch him breathe his last. Maybe, they, maybe some, they, they watched from way behind. We know John was up close because John was standing next to his mom, Mary. Because at one point when Jesus is there, he says, Okay, John, this is now your mom. Mom, this is now your son. Like even from the cross, he's taking care of others. But maybe the others were watching from like a distance and they're going, no, no, it's not supposed to end like this. Like he's supposed to get up there and it's not supposed to stop. We gave everything to this. Have you ever thought what it felt like on Saturday though? Like we always jump from Friday to Sunday and but what did Saturday feel like? Saturday might have felt like, now what? The sense of hopelessness. Like maybe he was going to get off the cross on Friday, but Saturday we're just kind of stuck here. And gosh, if they did that to him, what will they do to us? And then everything changed on Sunday. See, I know that maybe for some, maybe you still haven't made that decision for Jesus, and that's okay, it's a God thing. That's between you and him. He draws, the Father draws you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and you need to receive the gift. But maybe for some, you said, I just can't, I just can't believe in the resurrection. That's just, that's too huge of a miracle. 
Can I just encourage you with something? Do you realize that none of the other disciples there believed he was going to come back from the dead on Sunday? None of them. You know how I know? Because none of them were there on Sunday morning outside the tomb with signs saying, welcome back. They weren't sitting there going, oh, it's the countdown. You feel it? Oh, game time. You feel it? Feel it? Yeah, this is it. This is it. Uh, 10, 9, get down to 1, boom, and then the tomb opens, and now comes Jesus. Oh, we knew it. Nope. They were in an upper room terrified. And women were on their way to what? To anoint his dead body and to prepare him for burial. And on the way, this is, their, this, this is their conversation. This is the biggest thing that they had to work through. It's Mark chapter 16, I think, where, where as they're walking along, one looks to the other and says, hey, who's going to move the rock? Isn't it amazing that the one that they followed, he was known for giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. He's the one who can make, make those who are mute speak. He takes a paralyzed guy and Gives them the ability to walk. Takes a leprous person. And all of a sudden he goes home clean. He tells a storm to knock it off. He invites one of his disciples to walk on the water with him. He brings a 12-year-old girl back from the dead and gives her back to her parents. He calls out one of his closest friends, Lazarus, after being in the tomb for four days. And Lazarus comes walking out. This Jesus who did the impossible the improbable, the incredible. But once he's dead and you don't believe in the resurrection, all that you can ask is, well, who's going to move a rock? But when you actually believe that Jesus is great, you don't really worry about the rock. Guys, do you ever wonder why the rock actually was moved out of the way? I think Jesus is on the inside of the tomb going, hey, let me out. I can't get out. Was that really so he could get out, or was it so that we could get in? So Jesus has been resurrected, and he showed himself to the disciples. And one of my favorite parts in, in John is when he shows himself to Thomas. And we give Thomas a bad rap, don't we? What do we call him? We call him a, a title and then Thomas, blank Thomas. What is it? You know what it is? Doubting Thomas. I just, I, why do we do that? Because this is all he said. You all got to see him. I'm not going to believe unless I get to see him too. What's wrong with that? Is that doubting? He's just saying, I want to see what you saw. I give him props for that. And then Jesus shows up. He says, you need to see the scars in my hands and in my feet. Here you are. You want to see the one up in my side? Oh, that's pretty tender. You see that one? Yep. Guys, isn't it amazing that Jesus' resurrected body, he could have come back with nothing on his body, but what did he keep? The, the scars. And guys, one day I think we're going to see him when we stand in his presence, and we're going to look upon Jesus, known as the Lamb of God who, take, who took away the sin of the world, and we're going to look upon Jesus and see his scars. And all of those scars are God's declaration that you were what? Worth it. You're worth it. In John chapter 21, after Jesus has shown himself to the disciples, there's been some time that's gone by, and Simon Peter says, hey, I'm going fishing. So some of, the, some, of the, some of the other disciples go with him and get to verse 4 of chapter 21. It says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. One word, no. 
Anybody, anybody, anybody like to go fishing? Anybody here like to go fishing? A few of you? When you go fishing, there's really one goal, right? It's to what? Catch fish. And so have you ever had that happen where you go out and you cut nothing and you got to come home and they say, how was it? What'd you catch? And you have to say, nothing. And you don't say it like all happy. It's like you just got jacked up by some fish, right? They just beat you down. So you can imagine they're, <laughs> they're fishing all night. And here comes Jesus, and first he calls them children. Guys, i got to be honest. When I'm out in a boat, I've been out there all night. I didn't catch any fish. I get pretty grumpy when I'm tired. But all of a sudden, some dude, and I don't know who it is on the shore, going, hey, did y'all catch something? I'm like, oh, why don't you just wait there? I'll show you what I caught and bring out an oar. Like, I'd be so frustrated. Why does he call them children? I don't know. I do know that, I do know that a lot of scholars believe the oldest, the oldest disciple of the 12, Judas is now no more. So out of the 11, do you, know, do you know who the oldest was? Simon Peter. And a lot of scholars that believe that the rest of them were teenagers. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I've read that. And I said, well, it kind of makes sense since John lived for so long. And so maybe it was because of that. He says, children, have you catch any fish? He said, no. He said to them, well, just cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. That's it. Does anybody else find that, find that suggestion a little bit frustrating? Jesus just going, put your, just put your net on the right side. Jesus, put it on the wrong side. Put it on the right side. As if the, as if the fish are like, just come over here. They're always on the wrong side. Just get grandpa. And grandpa's going, shut up. And so all the fish are over here waiting. And Jesus says, just throw it on that side. And they're like, oh, crud. We're done. Guys, look at what happens. So they cast it. And now they were, not, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Guys, can I encourage you with something? This walk with Jesus, it is not boring. I have this phrase that I say often. That followers of Jesus, if we're bored following Jesus, it's because we're boring. It has nothing to do with Jesus. Guys, when I look at what it is that Jesus called his disciples to, everything that they got to see, everything they got to hear, all the messages that he taught, I don't see Jesus bringing them, inviting them into something where they're going, now what? This is boring. It's just the same monotony. It's just the same Sunday morning, midweek, that's all it is. Because isn't that what it's turned into? Hit a Sunday morning service. Hit a youth group. And that's enough. And yet when I look at this, I don't see, just give me a couple things. Give me a couple hours a week and that's it. I see Jesus calling them to a life. And then calling the church to a life. Guys, when you hear the word church, how many of you think of a place? Put your hands up. Like, aren't you going to go to church? Right? You think of a place. Or how many think of like an event, like a worship service? Man, did you go to church today? You guys want to come to church with me? Guys, you know what the word actually means? It has nothing to do with a location. It has nothing to do with an event. And I'm wondering if that's why it is that we've become so bored. Do you know what it means? Family. Here's the literal meaning. That you're, you're, you're right there with it. It's this word ecclesia. It's not even a church word. It means a gathering of people brought together to fulfill a purpose. It has nothing to do with the building. Do you realize that for the first 300 years that the church was started, after Jesus started, for 300 years, they didn't have a building to meet in. They met in each other's homes. 
And these disciples went out and made disciples. The church went. They did what God called them to do. Guys, when it doesn't make sense, when all of a sudden it's like, well, this is what I've been doing. I've been doing this. I've been doing this my whole life. I've been doing this. I'm so used to that. And Jesus says, but I want you to do something different. Instead of being on this side, I want you to flip it over to this side. I want you to try something new. Guys, take the, take the step of faith. I promise you, he's worth it. So verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, Guys, that's a little arrogant statement, don't you think? Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved, it's like he's the favorite, he's the teacher's pet. Guys, John wrote this. Who's John talking about? Anybody know? Which one is the one that Jesus loved? Yeah. Huh? Well, he's talking to Peter. The beloved one's talking to Peter, so it's not him, but Jesus did love him. But the writer's speaking about himself, and the writer's John, so John's like, I'm his favorite. I'm his favorite. I'm the beloved. I'm the one that Jesus loves. And I used to think, what an arrogant little jerk. You little brat. Until I realized, if I actually believed that God loved me, then how would my life look different? If I knew that he loved me and liked me, not based upon my performance of the day, not based upon what I achieved, not based on how well I did on something, but he loved me before time began. If I actually believe that I'm the beloved of God, might I walk with him and enjoy him rather than be afraid of him, not knowing that I can approach him and call him Papa? He says, it's the Lord. Continuing on in verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards off. Guys, if you're in the boat, you realize it's Jesus. As much as you want to see him, but you're 100 yards away. How many of you would stay in the boat and just row as fast as you can with everybody else to get to the shore? Anybody else? I would stay in the boat. How many sit there and go, I'd jump and I'd swim 100 yards? Here's, okay, and you guys are like the Olympic athletes. So here's Peter, he's stripped, for, he's stripped for work, which is a little awkward of a fishing trip, and I don't think it means he's butt naked, but I think he's down to like his chonies. And so he puts on his outer garments. I've never seen a swimmer, an Olympic swimmer, when they start off with their Speedos or their longer Speedos, whatever you call those things that are hyper skin tight. And so they get up on the block and wait a minute, I want to make this fair, and then go put on their parka jacket. And then they get, then they get to the, on the blocks, and they, guys, I'll be honest, swimmers, their arms, you ever notice how flexible their arms are? Like they're just sitting there and they're like, wham, oh my gosh, I did it. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I could be an Olympic swimmer. Dang, I nailed that. Okay, so they're just, they're just doing their stuff and they're getting ready and then boom, but they're all half naked when they jump in, except Peter, he puts on his clothes, swims 100 yards. And while he's swimming, here come all the disciples. Hey, Peter, we'll see you when you get there. And then they just go right past him. Why jump in the water? Watch this, we'll keep going. I'm not gonna lie, I'm blown away. Did you guys see that? Never. Okay, verse, verse nine. When they got out of land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with, with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish that you have just caught." So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. So Peter hears, "Oh, that's Jesus." 
Boom, takes off 100 yards. Then Jesus says, hey, I need some fish. Guys, there's about eight or nine of them there. And what's Peter do? How many fish did Peter get for him? 153. How, how, how hungry does he think Jesus is? Well, he was dead. He's got to be hungry. He's alive now, so we got to do this. We're going to do a big fish fry. It's going to be fantastic. Why is all of a sudden it's like, hey, bring me some fish. And he's like, I'll bring the whole net. And he gets all of them and he starts dragging the whole net ashore. Do you think that maybe any of the disciples are looking going, all of them? Really? Why? Guys, this is my conviction. Guys, have you ever, you ever said something that might have frustrated somebody, but you're not quite sure, but you don't want to ask him just in case it didn't? So you try to act a certain way around them to see whether or not they're acting normal. You know, do you, are you tracking with me yet? Okay, just a few inhuman staff. <laughs> and so you'll say a little joke, and if they laugh normal, you're okay. But if they laugh kind of like, <laughs> then you know that something's wrong. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm wondering if Peter's in there going, okay, so the last time that Peter and him had this kind of conversation, what did Jesus say was going to happen? you're going to deny knowing me three times before morning, and he did it. He denied Jesus. He denied even knowing who he was three times, and now they're getting ready to have this conversation. And what if, what if Peter's just sitting there going, it can't be true that he actually loves me. It can't be true that he's actually forgiven me. I have to prove to him so that he knows that I, I'm committed to him, but I just got to make sure he's okay with me. What if it's like that? And what if we're no different? So verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Guys, what does he call him? What does Jesus call him this time? Because he's called him Peter in the past. But here he calls him what? Simon, son of John. It's like he goes back to the beginning. It's like, Je it's like Jesus is looking at him going, you know what? I know what you did. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's just go back to the beginning. Simon, son of John. Let's start there. Do you love me? That word love means agape. It's the, it's the Greek word agape. Are you committed to me? Agape love is not, oh, I, I feel in love. Guys, that's kind of what we've jumped into, this like a Disney mentality of love. It's amazing. People go, you know what? You'll know what love is. You'll just know. You'll just know. You just feel it. All of a sudden, it's like a bubble just gets you. Bam, I'm just in love. And it just floats you around until it pops and I fell out of love. And then you just hate people. Guys, that's not what agape love is. It's not the emotion. Do you realize that the word agape has nothing to do with emotion? It's the desire to see the best in a person, to see the best for the person, regardless of how you feel about them. Here's how I know. Because in the Bible, if it says, hey, husbands, I want you to love your wives. I want you to love your wives like Christ loved the church. And then, and then you have Jesus saying, I want you to love your enemies. So husbands, agape your wives. But hey, all followers of Jesus, I want you to agape your enemies. It can't be, I feel it, therefore I'll do it. And when I stood before God and family and friends with my wife, and I vowed to love her, I didn't vow an emotion. 
I can't vow an emotion. I can't vow a feeling. You make a covenant, a commitment, and I will love her no matter how I'm feeling. And she made that vow to me. And so when he asked, hey, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Guys, that's just brotherly love. That's not this committed, no matter what kind of love. It's like, I'm in, yes, but yeah, we're brothers. Yeah. That's not what he asked him. And he said this, then feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. It's like for some reason, it's not really coming out. It's not, he's not getting it. And he said to him, well, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you, and then he says the word, phileo me. So it's kind of like this. Hey, if you're not at agape, it's okay. You do phileo me, though. Because you are Simon, but you will be Peter. And this is where you are, and I will bring you to agape. Like, I'll meet you, but you're not going to stay there. Friends, for those of you, and anybody in the room, I rarely just preach to the students. It's everybody in the room. If I, if I say the word regret, how many of you have that situation that came up that you wish you could change? Anybody? It's like, if I could never go back and do that. It's like, I wish I never did that, right? And it kind of haunts maybe. Sometimes that thought will pop up. You're like, oh, God, why did I do that? Why did I do that? You know what I love about Jesus? He dealt with the problem. He dealt with the issue. Why does Jesus ask Peter three times, do you love me? Why do you think? Tell me. Yep. No, no. You took that way down real quick. Oh, he got in a. Okay. Oh, so you think it's because love, it's a different definition that he's using. Okay. What do you think? Okay, see if he loves and cares about Jesus. Anybody else want to try over here? Yep, yep, right there. Yeah. I think these are good, and then I think you bring that to just kind of wrap it up. So, yeah, yeah. What, I'm sorry, last one. Yeah, I think Jesus wanted to deal with the three denials, right? You love me? Yeah. You love me, right? He loved me and says the third time he was hurt because he asked him the third time. Guys, I got to be honest. Jesus is not always nice, but he's always good. If he has to hurt us a little bit to get us to remember something, he'll do it. But for those with that regret, this is what he asks. Do you love me? Yeah. Then go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. Go tend my sheep. He doesn't keep harping it. See, there's this word forgiveness. Do you actually believe that you're forgiven? If you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, if you really have surrendered your life to Christ, everyone in the room, do you actually believe that you are forgiven? I mean, think about it. When God looks upon you because you surrender your life to Christ, you are seen as holy as blameless. You're seen as holy and blameless as Jesus is because you're in him. You belong to him. Guys, you're forgiven for things you haven't even done yet. 
Guys, that's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of God's mercy and his compassion. Guys, that is the beauty of what God gives us. And as far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgressions from us. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so is his love for us. Guys, what I love about that verse, it's in Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth. David, when he wrote that psalm, had no clue that we're living in this universe that's ever expanding. And yet we know that and go, okay, so there's no limit to God's love. Is that what you're telling me? Absolutely, yes. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Guys, do you see verse 19? Look at it again. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. God was going to receive glory through the death of Peter. Guys, how could that be? Here's, I remember there was this, uh, this small little Palauan woman. She's from Palau. She's part of our church for a long time. Uh, her kids were in my youth group. Um, and then she, um, I remember the first time she, 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 uh, she came down with uh, breast cancer. And I remember the night she came to the Thursday night service that I got to lead. Um, and so it was, and it was kind of a fun worship gathering. A lot of young adults, but kind of all ages and just kind of a little bit more free in what we want to do, not just kind of stuck to an hour. We just kind of went for a long time. And, and she said, hey, Brian, if I come to flood, we called it flood. If I come to flood, could you guys pray over me? Could you lay hands and pray? I said, absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. And so she showed up. And so here she is, she's like this big, she's like up to my, I don't know, up to my side right here. And she gets right in the middle and the whole community stands up. Well, like 180 minutes, we just lay hands, we start to pray for her. And, and then she goes to her doctor's appointment and no joke, guys, if I'm lying, I'm dying. She calls me and she says, Brian, I went and had my scan, they can't find it. I'm like, what the? Oh my gosh, he's like, I got one of those. It's like, you ever was like, I want to pray, I want to see him healed. And then I can write the book and make millions of dollars. I haven't done that and I won't ever, but it's like, you feel like I got to see one of those. And so then we went on a mission trip to Palau, which is pretty much on the other side of the world. She's like, Brian, I want you to come. I want you to preach everywhere. I'm like, okay. And so we had some students we took with us and me and a couple of adults and we went to Palau and literally she took me everywhere to preach. I was exhausted. She takes me to this village and she goes, hey, you're going to preach here. And just so you know, the governor of the village is there. And I'm like, the governor, I've made it. Like a political superpower. Guys, the village had like 50 people. And so it was a governor of the 50 people. <laughs> so in my mind, I was like, Secret Service are gonna show up. I'm the man. This is it. It's in scripture. Don't worry about what to say because he'll give you the words in the moment. There's the governor. I don't even remember her name. She's just as little as, as, as Dora. That's it. So there she comes. I preach for 50 minutes. I had my message ready. I sit down. Dora comes over and she goes, Brian. They want to hear another one. Guys, to be honest, I have never, in almost 30 years of doing this, I've never had anyone ask for an encore. Like the band's like, one more song, one more song. Preacher's like, oh, just sit down. We're done. Shut up. We're done. Done. We're not listening no more. Encore. I'm like, well, they want to preach. She goes, you better figure it out. 
I'm like, no, don't worry. Like, seriously, no, no, you better figure it out. You better pray, ask the Lord, and then you, pr- and then you can preach. So I sit down. I'm like, God, what do you want me to preach? I don't remember what I preached. I just got up and just, boom, here we go again. At the end, governor just said, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm like, okay, you're the governor. It's great. And, and then she took us into the prisons. I don't know how she got us in. I mean, we didn't break a law. It wasn't like that. We got arrested and thrown in there. It's like, but we go in. And no joke, she's this big, and she finds, like, the biggest dude with a tat, like, tatted all over, no neck because his shoulders are going up to his ear, his earlobes. And she's like, you need the Lord. You need to give your life to Jesus. And she's just letting him have it. He's like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. He's, like, he's almost crying because he's terrified. A little Dora. And then she comes up and goes, Brian, they're ready. I'm like, what do you need me for? So there's people in the courtyard listening, and then you see people out that are, they, they, they weren't allowed to come out because they were getting in some trouble, but they're hanging, like you can see their arms hanging out the windows as they're listening to the gospel, and I'm just presenting it. And then at some point, we went on kind of a little like boat trip with the crew, and the kids were swimming, and she goes, Brian, I just need to tell you something. I said, what? And she goes, it came back. And I went, no. She said, it doesn't look good. I said, how long have you known? And she said, like, about a month. I was like, why are we here? I think it's because, and I've been reminded of it this week, no matter the circumstance, followers of Jesus follow Jesus. True followers of Jesus follow Jesus no matter what. So I said, well... Can we pray? She goes, I don't want to tell anybody here. I don't want to wreck the trip. But if we can come back, can we pray at flood? I said, yeah. We prayed for it flood. <clears throat> and I remember a month, a month and a half, two months later, I'm in a staff meeting, and one of the pastors had gone to see her because she was in the hospital. And he said, if you want to see Dora before she goes to see Jesus, you might want to go now. I said, they're going, God, I, we prayed. We prayed the same way. And I remember going to the hospital room. And as I got there, I saw her husband, and I gave him a huge hug. His name was Dale. Dale and Dora. Gosh, any, couple, any married couple's names like D&D? Gosh, that's just cute. Dale and Dora. And then one of the daughters was there. Stacy was there. Sarah was on her way from the, from the Bay Area. And I said, do you mind if I just go and see her real quick? He said, no, go on. And so I've never seen an oxygen mask that covers the whole face, but it, she had one of those. And as I got closer, I, I looked at her and I said, hey, Dora. And she opened her eyes and just smiled, like the biggest smile I've ever seen. And maybe it was bigger because there was the mask and it kind of magnified. I'm like, wow, that's a big smile. And I leaned into her and I said, Dora, you're going to get to see Jesus before I do. And man, she just lit up. There wasn't like a fear. There was no fear. And we stayed there for, I stayed there for about three hours. I hardly said a word. I just sat in the corner. An older woman from our church came in with a hymn book. And she just started to read hymns over her and to read psalms over her. And I thought, this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of. I thought, God, you can be glorified in anything. And so it was time to go, and I told Dale I was going to say bye, and I, I, brought, I, I came up next to her. I was on this side of her this time, and I said it again. I said, Dora, you're going to beat me to Jesus. And she grabbed my hand, and she just brought it to her chest. And I said, I'm standing like this the whole time. 
But I, I felt weird saying, Dora, my back hurts because she's on the bed dying. So I was like, that's not the way to do it. And so I just pulled in the chair and I just sat there and I waited. And I waited there for probably seven, eight minutes. I just sat there and she just smiled and smiled and smiled. And her funeral was awesome. And it turned to this worship service. And God was glorified. When, when Jesus says that, and then he gives these two words, follow me, guys, it's still the invitation. The circumstances don't change the invitation. And then Peter's like, well, what about that guy? What about the one that you love, the beloved one? Like, this is what's going to happen to me. What about that guy? And Jesus says something like, what's it to you if he, he lives until I come back? Like, what's that to you? You follow me. Friends, you have, to come to this, you have to come to a conclusion on this decision. Everybody in the room. Is Jesus worth it? I'm going to say something. Hopefully it doesn't get me in trouble, but hold on for just a second because it's going to come out a little weird in the beginning. If you'd ask me, Brian, is Christianity worth it? No. Christianity is not worth it. But Christ is. If it's just Christianity without Jesus, it's just another ideology, it's just another thought or belief. That's not worth giving everything up for. But Jesus, the one who gave up everything for me and for you and for mankind, yeah, he's worth it. And then that Jesus says, hey, before I ascend, I'm going to give you this responsibility. I want you to go make disciples of all nations. The word disciple, follower, or learner. I want you to go make a follower or learner. Not just a convert, not just one who believes some things, but no, the ones who will follow me. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And here's the most encouraging thing that he could ever say. The one who breathed out the stars, the one who measures the universe with the span of his hand, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who keeps the earth spinning and moving at these hundreds of thousands of miles an hour, that God, that Jesus says, and by the way, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. So they go, how did he do that? I don't see him. Because you have his Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Christ. The Holy Spirit who is God the Spirit of Jesus, Holy Spirit, is yours. He's in you, not just around you, He's in you. Because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before Jesus ascends, He says, And you will receive power. I think it's the Greek word dunamis, where we get our word for dynamite. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Friends, we're unstoppable because we have a God who can't be stopped. So remember yesterday when I said, hey, if anyone ever looks at you and says that you're too old or that you're too young, what are you supposed to say to them? Don't say it to them. What's the reality? They say you're too young is because they're too old. Friends, do not let anyone stop you. Last story, ready? My first church, I'm watching these parents get baptized and they asked to give a testimony. So the mom's saying, giving her testimony, say, how did you come to Christ? How did you, you give her What was the story behind it? It says, well, we brought our five-year-old to Awana. Do you guys know what Awana is? Do you guys have Awana at your church? It's like the midweek thing for kids. Yeah, you guys memorize half the Bible when you're, by the time you're seven. Like, that's how it works. They brought their kid, five-year-old, to Awana. Every week, drop them off. And then Sunday mornings, drop them off, but they'd go to breakfast. 
Parents would go to breakfast, just drop them off. It's like date night, free babysitting. So one night at Awana, afterwards, kid jumps in the car. Mom's saying, how was it? Oh, I had so much fun, I had so much fun. Mom, can I ask you a question? Yeah. How come you and dad don't go to church? Guys, five-year-olds can say anything. They get away with it. It's like, oh, we're so glad that you do. We love it. We support it. We're so glad you're having fun. Are you having fun? You're having fun? Oh, glad. We're so glad you're having fun. We just want to support you, but it's our time to go out and just kind of be together. Okay. okay. And this is all the five-year-old says. Okay. I, I just know I just love Jesus, and I want you to love him too. That's it. That's all the kids said. And the parents are in the baptism. <laughs> They're getting baptized because their five-year-old told them about Jesus. And the parents came to know what Jesus did, and they surrendered their lives to Christ and were being baptized in front of the community because a five-year-old just simply said, I just want you to love Jesus too. Guys, what if it's that easy? What if telling people about Jesus is simply just bragging about how great Jesus is? This is why Jesus is so great. This is what he did. What if we, the church, woke up and just simply did what he said to go do? Well, we need to know how this culture acts and this culture acts. And what does this culture need? And this culture need? This is what the culture needs. They need Jesus. They need to be told about Jesus. And when we present the word of God to them and, pro- and proclaim the gospel, we trust that it's not going to return void, but it's going to accomplish what it's set to accomplish because that's what the Bible says it's going to do. Be bold, friends, and gracious, and trust that the Lord is not just around you and with you, but he's in you. He's the Holy Spirit to lead, to guide, to counsel, to convict, to encourage, to play with, to walk with. Guys, you can't be stopped. We can't be stopped. Friends, we can do this. It's our turn. It's our turn to continue to move forward in what it is that God has called the church to do. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for a great week together. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're in those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. We've surrendered to you. Thank you for forgiveness. That we're forgiven. We don't have to try to see whether or not we're okay with you. But we are. We're loved and adored and liked by you. God, for those who are still here that don't know you and haven't surrendered to you, oh God, please work in their lives as they would. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, God, make it, make it obvious, please. Holy Spirit, make it obvious that you're in us. We should be different. We should look different. We should act different. Holy Spirit, please. Do the work that you do that makes acts look tame because you're doing something incredible. God, please. I pray your blessing and I pray your anointing over these students and teachers and parents. These Hume-like staffers who just constantly give. God, thank you. And all that you do and will do to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.